You are listening to sermon audio from Coggin Avenue Baptist Church. If you'd like to know more about us, check us out online at www.coggin.church.com. Wow. My heart is prepared to receive, and I pray that yours is as well. So let's get to receiving from the Lord on high and the book of Proverbs. If you have your Bible this morning, I pray you brought it with you. are going to be in it every week. You're going to need it. Proverbs chapter 8. Proverbs chapter 8. As we are continuing, really ending phase one of our series in wisdom in the book of Proverbs called Wisdom Defined. No, we didn't go through every verse in the book of Proverbs. We're going to leave that up to you. There's a lot of good stuff in there today. But this week, we're going to be looking at that that path of wisdom and looking down that path a little further, like we did last week on the path of foolishness, but on the path of wisdom, look down there and to see some blessings waiting. Sometimes you have to do this if you're going to go on family vacation. Anybody like to go on family vacation in here? Anybody at all like to go to the mountains, like to go to the beach? All the kids are raising their hand. The reason mom and dad don't love it that much because not everybody is good at saving to go on vacation. See, everybody likes to go to the mountains. Everybody wants to ride the rides. Mom and dad, everybody loves to see the smiling faces on your family members, but not everybody likes to save to get there, right? And, and unless you're like next level wealthy, most of us in here today, we're going to have to sacrifice now if we want to go on vacation then. Does that make sense? Anybody say amen to that? You're going to have to live below your means now so you can have fun then. Things like drinking coffee at home. That's a novel concept, right? Instead of buying every cup that you need, which is okay if you do that. That's okay. If that's where you want to do it, do it. But if you're going to save for a big, big vacation, you may have to start drinking some coffee at home. Things like we're going to meal prep or meal plan and we're going to eat at home. Food's expensive enough. It's a lot more expensive if you try to go out to eat every night right? This is part of it. Maybe I'm just talking to myself this morning, but we have to do things like that to plan ahead. And in those moments, we want to be frivolous. Isn't that a fun word? Frivolous with our money and spend it on things that we want in the moment. We hold fast. How? By remembering the fun that is waiting for us then a couple years from now on the vacation if we would just be frugal today. See, it's, it's always easier to walk the path of wisdom, specifically in the example that I'm giving, in saving money when you can actually see the mountain peak in your mind. When you can actually almost feel uh, the cool breeze of the Caribbean cruise on your face. It's not just like that in savings, church. It's, it's like that in every wisdom principle in your life. We know that every day, almost every decision, financially, we, I discussed that illustration, but really anything. Solomon helps us see there's, there's two paths. Every day, there's the foolish path, and then there's the wise path. Today, we're going to be looking at the wise path and the blessings that are waiting for you. Last week, do you remember what Solomon had us do when he's talking to his sons? He had them look at the foolish path for a few minutes. It's basically Solomon said last week, hey son, before you take down that foolish path of specific things like adultery and maybe cheating on your wife, cheating on your family, cheating on your God, why don't you just travel in your mind down that foolish path a, a few miles and, and see that though the temptress, oh, she looks good, and, and see that though her words are seductive, where she's actually leading you, if you would just look down that way a little bit, she's leading you not to blessing but to death. In a similar way, but opposite this morning, he's saying, look down the path of wisdom a little further. 
and, and see the blessings that are waiting for you. And just like the foolish path and the negative things that are waiting for you there, it dissuaded you from that path. The beautiful blessings on the wise path. What I pray that that God does is we look out that path a little further this morning. He would draw you to them and draw you to that path. I think that's what he's doing in Proverbs chapter 8. Would you stand with me? Let's start reading in verse 17. The first blessing that we're going to look at that you come to as we peer down the wise path is the blessing of God himself. He says, I love those who love me. And those who, I want you to underline this word when you sit down, diligently seek me will find me. Riches and honor are with me. Enduring wealth and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, even pure gold. And my yield better than the choicest silver. I walk in the way of righteousness. What it means by that is I'm leading the way in righteousness and I want you to follow in the midst of the paths of justice. To endow those who love me, meaning those who also follow me with wealth, that I may fill their treasuries. This is God's word. Please be seated. I pray this morning, church family, that you would be drawn to the wise path. Because her beauty is not fake, like we looked at last week, like the temptress. Her beauty is lasting and unlike the temptress, she will not lead you to death and destruction. She will lead you, wisdom will, to favor and blessing and life. Last week, I just love and hated this image of temptation. Looking good and sounding good. Calling out to you. Come and follow me. Well, Solomon reminds us that wisdom, she's calling out to you as well. But her call is good because it's from God and it leads to life and hope. That's what he says in Proverbs 8.1. Look at the beginning of that chapter. Does not wisdom call, meaning call as well, and understanding lift up her voice? So as I want you to ignore the calling of the temptress church. I think God wants you to listen to the calling of wisdom. And as you do, you will see down that wise path that there's this most beautiful treasure this most amazing blessing waiting for you. And the first blessing that we come to, we often run right, right past, and it's the blessing of God himself. The blessing of his presence. Look at verse 17. Early in this series, I, I helped you understand wisdom. I hope I did, by saying that, that wisdom has a couple things. It has a pace that none of us like to travel, which is slow. I, I like to go fast. It has a posture which we don't like that much. It's kind of on your knees in humility. Wisdom has a person. I'm so thankful for the person of Christ who walked in wisdom so I can follow his example. And finally, I said that wisdom had a practice. Do you remember what the practice of wisdom was a couple weeks ago? It was abiding. Abiding in Christ. Abiding means to spend large amounts of time with God in Christ. Simply put, one who seeks the path of wisdom abides in Christ. And the one who abides in Christ receives this first blessing that I'm talking about, the blessing of presence. I call it the ministry of presence as it matches up with Proverbs 8, 17 that says, I love those who love me. And it doesn't mean that God doesn't love you before you love him. It means if you come to me, which he clears up here in a minute, I will be there with you. 
In fact, that's what he says. Those who diligently seek me will find me. Do you see the presence of God in your life as that first and greatest treasure waiting for you on the path of wisdom? Because that's what Solomon sees it as. And I want to promise you, it is. I love the simplicity of this point. I'm a simple-minded man. I love it when faith is simple. And here it is. That if you seek him, if you seek wisdom from him, you will find him. Not complicated. My question for myself this week was, well, are you doing it? Are you actually going to God for wisdom? Are you seeking him? Are you spending time in his presence? If not, don't expect him to be there. All those who diligently seek me will find me. And I think not only is this a a powerful verse in the Old Testament, but it has a really strong Christ connection because I believe Jesus might have had Proverbs chapter 8 in his mind as he was teaching on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7. Let's look at that passage together. Matthew 7, 7, Jesus says something very similar. He says, ask and it will be given to you. You know this verse. Seek and you will find and knock and the door will open. Be open. So everyone who asks, receives, everyone who seeks, finds, and everyone who knocks will have the door open to them. If you want the Lord, whether you're looking at Proverbs 8 or Matthew chapter 7, it's pretty simple. If you want him and you look for him, you will find him. But notice how you must seek him. It matches with Proverbs 8 and Matthew 7, though we might miss it if we're not careful. Those who, what's the word in Proverbs 8? Diligently seek me will find me. Circle that word or underline it or highlight it. That's very important. Those who diligently seek me will find me. This supports the idea of abiding, which is how you practice wisdom. It's not just this lie that you're told that you could just go to church once a week and that's all the God you need. <laughs> For many of us, that's like more like once a month, right? I can just read the word and pray once or twice a month and that's good. No, abiding, the word simply means to remain diligent and seeking the Lord. Those are the ones that receive the blessing of his presence the most. And that's exactly, I believe, what Jesus is saying in Matthew chapter 7. When you first read that verse, you see the the phrase or the words or the verbs, ask, seek, and knock. And if we're not careful, because of the English language, we're thinking, okay, ask once, receive. Knock once, doors opened. Search once, I'll find. That's not what Jesus is saying at all. He's saying exactly what Solomon is saying in Proverbs chapter 8. If you look at the original tense of those verbs, ask, seek, and knock. Some of you already know this, but it's fantastic for me. This is one of the reasons I love Greek. It opens the Bible and lets me read it as it was intended 2,000 years ago. These verbs are in the present tense iterative version of the tense, meaning the present tense. You're like, okay, that's nice. What does that mean? It means they're repetitive. It means ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking, and the answer will then be given. Then you will find, and then the door will be opened. Diligently seeking the Lord, those who do that receive the greatest blessing from his presence. Now, am I, am I saying that if you're not there with him every day, he's not with you? I'm not saying that at all, but I'm saying the real blessing of his presence 
comes after a dedicated amount of time with him. Just think in your own life. You have your own example of this, I promise. Think about in your own life, those seasons when you were diligent to seek him through prayer and fasting. Think about those seasons in your life when you were diligent to abide with Christ and how much greater it was for you, how much more peace that you had, how much more direction he gave you. And then compare those times to the dry seasons of your life where you live like you didn't even know him. Do you remember how much harder it was without him? How much less joy you had? You have the own, your own case study. I'm simply asking you to remember what you already know. This blessing of his presence as you look down the path of wisdom, it should draw you to him. Why is the blessing of his presence so attractive? Simply put, it's not as the world tells you. His presence is what you need the most. His peace, though you may be trying to find it in other ways, it's what you need the most. And his peace and his power comes, how? From his presence. His presence is the first thing you'll find on the path of wisdom as you look down it. And his presence, I promise you this, is the last thing you'll need in your final breath on this earth. When I first came to know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, I was but a child. But I still had some real struggle. I struggled and our family struggled with poverty. There were many burdens that I was bearing that a child should not have to bear. I was struggling with the absence and the void of some family members. I was suffering, literally, many times I was physically suffering. And when I went home that day after trusting Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, you know what was waiting for me? All those same things. The burdens were still there. I still had an absence of family members. I was still physically suffering. And poverty, yep, it was still waiting for me. But everything had changed. You're like, what? If nothing had changed, how could everything has changed? The one thing that changed, that changed everything, is I now had his presence. Can I understand? Help you. Can I help you understand the power that was in that moment, that first night after I trusted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior? And though I was living in poverty, I knew I was rich in him, and I didn't know how to explain it. Though I was void of the presence of family members, I knew that I was not alone anymore. Though I was literally suffering, I could bear that suffering because I knew that he suffered for me and my suffering, like his, had purpose. Can I just tell you, church, the presence of Christ in my life, though none of the circumstances changed, it changed everything. And it's the same for you. If it did it for me, God promises it'll be the same for you. That's a blessing that we should be running toward, not discounting and forgetting about. Do not discount the power of Christ's presence in your life, church. It was the presence of Christ in Paul's life that allowed him to be in prison. We just finished looking at this book, Philippians, but have the most joy any human could ever have. It was the presence of Christ that allowed him to have that joy and to be happy, though he was waiting for a trial to pronounce him guilty and to take his life from him. It was the presence of Christ. We could go on and on, right? In Acts chapter 7, that gave Stephen hope, even while the stones were being thrown 
to take his life. And it's been for thousands of years and millions of believers, the presence of Christ has been the hope that we've needed to get through life. What a gift the presence of Christ is for you. And like that question was given to me, I extend it to you. Are you practicing the presence of Christ in your life? Are you waking up every day yearning to spend time with him? Those who do receive the greatest form of this blessing with him. The first and chief reason we look down the path of wisdom is because by seeking wisdom, we find Jesus. But there's other blessings. There's other fruit that's waiting for you down that path. I, I could mention probably hundreds of, of types of blessings that are waiting for you down the path of wisdom as you seek it from God. But I'm going to mention two, the two that are in this text. Look at verses 18 through 21. Seek wisdom and receive the blessed fruit, fruit of, yes, wealth and righteousness. I love how Solomon talks about the blessings waiting for you on the wise path as fruit. That connects with how Jesus sees this principle of abiding. If you look in the New Testament, in the book of John, when Jesus talks about abiding in him, he uses an illustration. Does everybody remember? He says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Those branches that are abiding in the life-giving nourishment from the vine, those are the branches that get heavy with the fruit that they're bearing for the glory of the vine. It works the same way in your life. Abiding with Christ and seeking his presence will allow the nourishment to produce fruit in you and from you for others to see. The first fruit he says here is wealth. Isn't that interesting? I don't always like to talk about wealth in church. It makes me a little uncomfortable, but it's exactly what you think it is. Monetary wealth, earthly riches. He says in verse 18, riches and honor are with me. Enduring wealth and righteousness. Look at verse 21. To endow those who love me with wealth that I may fill their treasures. Yes, of course, what you're thinking is right. Pastor, there's got to be a greater metaphorical application of wealth. There is. And we're going to talk about that. But let's not neglect the practical nature of some of the principles that Solomon talks about concerning your finances that can help you in a real way today. Yes, I find myself hesitant talking about money in American churches. Why? Because it's so abused. I he I'm hesitant talking about wealth because it's so misused in, in churches and from pulpits all across America. I hesitate talking about money in churches today because for so many of you, gaining wealth has become an idol. But should I neglect the practical application of that just because we misuse it? The answer is no. We, must give, we just must give warning as we go. So let me speak to the person here this morning. It may be more than one of you where wealth has become your idol. Gaining the almighty dollar is taking the place of God in many areas in your life. Here's what you need to do. Repent. That path is the path of foolishness. Wealth cannot bring you joy and happiness. Can God use it? Yes, but repent of that. It cannot be your idol. And, and remove your affection for it by not only turning it to God in repentance, by giving more of it away. This will help you. 
But there's also a great practical benefit that we must not neglect. Just like last week, the illustration was of the adulterous woman. And he says, beware of her. The simple application is, beware of adultery. <laughs> Guys and girls out there, there are literal physical temptresses, and I don't know how the masculine form of that is, dudes that are, that are waiting to destroy your life and your marriage. But is there a greater application? Yes, towards temptation itself. To me, honestly, it was refreshing thinking and praying about how we can deal with real wealth in our world without it feeling icky. For example, if you seek God for wisdom in your finances, there's some practical things in Proverbs that are going to help you. Number one, it's going to teach you to save money. It's going to teach you to get out of debt. It's going to teach you how to make your money work for the glory of God instead of for you alone. And it's going to teach you how, yes, you can accumulate wealth on this earth for God's glory and the benefit of your family without it being sinful. Can I be so brave to say that many, if not most people in America, have the ability to live underneath their means and still survive? Which means that many of us in America today can actually save money and have wealth that can be used for his glory. Now, once you gain the wealth, it also matters what you do with the wealth. If your heart says, I'm going to spend it all on me, that's a wrong heart. You need to correct that. And don't be surprised if you collect wealth and you save money just to spend it on yourselves. If God slows down the accumulation of wealth because you're not sending it out. But if you're a conduit and the more God puts in, the more you send out. Also, don't be surprised if God more puts more in so he can see more and go out for his glory. You're like, Pastor, you keep talking about that. Where do you get that from? Proverbs chapter 3. Look with me. Wealth is discussed all through this book. Proverbs 3 verse 9 says, honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Now, of course, there's spiritual application of true fulfillment here, but there's also, I think, monetary financial application. We can't ignore it. Look at Proverbs chapter 11 verse 25. The generous man will be prosperous. And he who waters will himself be watered. That's the conduit principle right there. There's also other passages that talk about having integrity with your money and not being faultier and ethical with your wealth. Proverbs 13, 11 says, wealth obtained by fraud dwindles. Can I just repeat that one? That's huge in the corruption that we face today. Proverbs 13, 11 says, wealth obtained by fraud dwindles, but the one who gathers by labor increases it. On and on we could go and talk about the dangers of being enslaved to debt and the principle of keeping your word and paying back what you owe, but we're going to stop here. But I will tell you this, and I encourage you to do this to seek the wisdom of God in your finances. And I promise you, he will guide you and he will speak to you concerning them. You say, Pastor, I want to be real careful here. Are you guaranteeing that I have earthly and financial prosperity? Of course not. I'm not God. 
I cannot guarantee that. No is the answer. And any church that puts health, wealth, and prosperity above everything else is not looking at the whole of Scripture. But there is something I can promise you. I can promise you the presence of God if you seek him. And I can promise you the guidance of God if you seek him in your finances. Now, what God chooses to do with your obedience to him with your finances or the lack thereof, guess who's that up to? That's up to him, not me. But I will tell you this, test him. That's what he says. Test me in this and see if I won't prove true. But I know that you know, and we agree together, that we're not just citizens of this earth. So financial or physical prosperity cannot be the only application. I know that you know there has to be greater and deepening meaning to the fruit that's waiting for us on the path of blessing. I want to tell you, you're right. Things like honor that comes from righteousness. Look at verse 18. He says, riches and honor. Wealth and righteousness come from seeking the wisdom of God. In verse 19, God promises that his fruit, though it might be prosperous to you financially, his fruit spiritually is better than the gold, better than the finest silver. In verse 20, he tells us that this fruit on the path of righteousness and justice comes from him because he's already walked the path for you. Now, if your mind is struggling this morning trying to, to wrap itself around what does it look like to walk the righteous path as God walks, let me help you. That's where Jesus comes in. That's why Jesus is the person of wisdom. Jesus was not only God in the flesh, Jesus was wisdom in the flesh. And like I've said before, practically, Jesus was wisdom walking. And why is that so helpful for you? Because when you struggle, to apply wisdom from the book of Proverbs or anywhere else in the scripture, and you will, you now have somebody that you can follow the example of. Just open the Bible, go to the Gospels, read the story of Jesus, and see how he did it to inform how you should do it. See how Jesus spoke to people. See how Jesus produced the fruit of righteousness in his life. And you try your best to follow his example. And you will walk the righteous path, and the fruit of righteousness will be yours for the glory of God. Now, some of you may be struggling to think, how can righteousness be a blessing that I'm so drawn to that it actually desire, makes me desire to walk the wise path? Let me just remind you that you were created for works of righteousness. And the best feeling that you're ever going to have in your life is living under the fulfillment of of why God created you. You're like, well, I don't know, pastor. <laughs> I kind of think it would be fun living it up on my own yacht, serving myself for the rest of my life. Okay, I can get how you think that, but let me ask you a couple more questions. For how long will it satisfy you? And to what end? There's a reason that people who only live for themselves are never satisfied and the people who live for the glory of God and for others, they're ever satisfied. The question is, which one do you want? Do you want true satisfaction or to always be chasing your tail? If you always want to chase your tail, then serve yourself. But you were created for so much more, church. You were created for the glory of God and you show God's glory to others by the fruit of righteousness that you produce for justice in this world because people are watching you. The eyes of your children, they're ever on you. 
and the fruit that you produce should point them, be it your children or your neighbors or your friends, back to him and reflect his character. You say, okay, my mind's being changed. That's the goal. (laughs) I'm starting to see that the fruit of righteousness that's down the path of wisdom for me is something that I should yearn for. But, But pastor, those are nice church words. Can you tell me what does it look like practically to bear the fruit of righteousness in this world? Great question. I'm going to give you a biblical example and then a personal example. Biblical example comes out of Luke chapter 10. Jesus is telling those that have gathered that the fruit of righteousness that he's recommending that you chase after is that you, don't miss this, that you love your neighbor as yourself. You want to go home this week and produce fruit for the glory of God, that fruit of righteousness that will be a blessing for you and for others. Love your neighbor as yourself. And if you're asking the question that everybody asked in that chapter, in Luke chapter 10, what does that look like? Jesus gives you the example. He's like, there was this guy. He was a Samaritan. And he was walking down the road, and he saw a man on the side of the road that nobody would help. Likely, that man hated him because of the ethnic differences that they had. Racism was alive and well 2,000 years ago, and it was raging just as much as it's raging today. He says, I'm not going to let that cultural racism stop me. And we know that he was spending time seeking the wisdom of God because he lived the wisdom of God, put cultural practices aside, and saw a need. He saw his neighbor, and he loved his neighbor as if that man was himself. And at a great cost to himself, this good Samaritan helped him bandage his wounds, put him up in a place, paid for his own money to do it. And Jesus says, this is your example. The fruit of righteousness that you produce for his glory. I know a man in my own life, and when I see him, I won't share his name. He beat me up if I did. He looks a lot like Jesus. Is he perfect? No, he's not perfect, and he knows that. He knows the gospel that saved him is the only gospel that's bringing him through. That's why he looks like Jesus, because he knows that Jesus is the only one that could do it for him. But when you see him, he's a humble man. And if you didn't know this man, you wouldn't know all the acts of righteousness that he was constantly doing for other people, because he's not going to tell you. But if you know him and you observe him, you see it. And every time I see him, I think to myself, Man, Jesus looks good on him. Does Jesus look good on you? I think to myself, Jesus looks good in him. Does Jesus look good in you? When you speak to him, you hear humility. Half the time he thinks he's not doing it right. Humility. Love your neighbor as yourself. Be like my friend and chase after being like Jesus. And watch the fruit that God wants to produce in you be so low-hanging on the limbs of your life that it's easy to see. You get what I'm saying there? You walk by an apple tree that's just, we don't have many of them around here, that's just full of apples, maybe a peach tree. You can see it from the end of the street. Like, oh, that's a peach tree. Peaches are so heavy, they're about to fall off. Oh, that's a Christian The fruits of righteousness are so heavy on them, I can see it from down the street. That's your neighbor looking at your fruit for the glory of God. As you stand at that intersection this week of the path of wisdom 
and the path of foolishness. I pray that you would know to the path of foolishness. It's death and destruction. And that you would spend some time looking at the path of wisdom as you follow God. And you would see his presence waiting for you this week. And you'd be drawn to that. Yes, you might even see some wealth that might be accumulating for your benefit and his glory as you practice these principles and proverbs and you apply them to your bank account. You see some love your neighbor as yourself fruit down there and any other fruit that you can think of, look down that path. Oh, and may God draw you to that path and draw many people to you, to the gospel, through you to the gospel. Many into these baptismal waters, many into these pew seats, all for his glory. God, we, I am just so excited to see this message applied in my life and our life. And yet, Lord, I have to readily admit, I need your help. I not only need your help in understanding and preparing and delivering this message, but Lord, I personally need your help in applying this message. Help me see the fruit and the blessing of your presence as enough. Just like it was for me as a child, it's still enough for me today. Help me to see the fruit of righteousness that you want to produce through me and help me to chase after it. God, help us collectively see that, the blessings that are waiting for us. And Lord, I have to. I have to pray for that one that's in here that you know, but they don't know you. That one that's gathered here this morning that does not have a saving relationship with you through your son, Jesus Christ. Show them their sin. Show them the path of foolishness that they're on. Show them the eternal consequences. And then show them Jesus. God, show them his sacrifice and the power of the resurrection. If they would just turn from their sin and believe in him, they could be saved. God, would you work the miracle of salvation in our heart today? And God, for the rest of us, when we stand up and we sing and we go. Send us out chasing the blessing of your wisdom for your glory. It's in Jesus' name everybody said, amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of our Coggin Church podcast. We exist to make disciples by leading people to connect with God, with others, through service to the world. For more information about Coggin, visit us at www dot org.